All right, all right. Well, hey guys, we are going to continue on the series sermon called My Anxious Thoughts. Pastor Sean, the last couple of weeks, went over dealing with uh, sadness, depression, anxiety, and what the Bible has to say about that. We're going to continue on in that vein, uh, and we're going to continue out of the book of Psalms. Uh, in fact, Psalms 23, in which has been the basis for this whole series. Today, however, we're going to move on from dealing with worry, stress, anxiety, to something that all of us have experienced will experience in the future, and that is dealing with rejection and how we deal with rejection. But we're going to dive right into uh, Psalms uh, chapter 23. So if you are able to, in honor of God's word, will you please stand and join me as we read the Psalms 23 together. God's word says this, the Lord is my shepherd, I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Amen. This is God's word. You may be seated. You know what? Before I get into this, I just realized I forgot to announce something very special, and that is this coming Friday, our creative team, they have been working on writing their own music. We've been singing their own mu their, their music. And something very special is happening at the Hills family. And that is this Friday, it is their first single is dropping on all the social media platforms. So if you have Spotify, Instagram, Facebook, all that kind of stuff, go on there and, and download that, listen to it. Um, incredible music that our creative team is putting out. So I wanted to just throw out there to, to give them you know, a shout out and all the hard work they have been doing. Now, speaking of rejection... It has nothing to do with the song coming out right now. <laughs> Just a bad transition. But we're going to talk about rejection today. And uh, that is something that all of us can identify with. Certainly on different levels, but we can all identify with it. If I was to ask you to raise your hand right now, and how many of you guys have ever experienced rejection, 100% of your hands would go up. If your hand doesn't go up, we have a support group for liars that are going to be meeting right after. So let's face it, we all have dealt with rejection. I remember my senior year in high school, I was 17 years old. I had been dating a girl for two years since my sophomore year in high school. It was the very beginning of our senior year. Uh, I had an incredible summer in between my junior and senior year. Just a, I was a new Christian. I was about three years old in my faith. I was growing. I was serving God. I went to a mission trip. I was, I was at camp. I, I was serving all summer. And it was just this incredible, like, just growth in my life. And I, I just felt like I was really connected to, to Jesus. And, and so I, one Sunday after church, uh, my girlfriend tapped me on the shoulder and says, we got to talk right after the service. And you knew it was one of those talks. Like, you, she didn't want to tell me how good looking I was. She didn't want to tell. It was like one of those talks. You just get it, right? Guys, we know this. We know the difference. 
And so I, I knew something was coming. We kind of had already started to drift apart. So it was that time anyway. And she, uh, she so after church, she walked up to me and, and she says, we've got to have a conversation about our relationship. And you already know that's like the death blow right there. Because she, again, she is not going to say, you're the best. No, it's time. And so she said this to me. She said this to me. She said, I have noticed over the last several months how you have really grown in your faith, and I respect that. She goes, however, I have not been growing in my faith, and I'm almost jealous of what's happening with you, so what I want to do is I want to break up with you. She goes, I want to break up with you so that I can focus all my attention on Jesus. <laughs> I was like, okay. I, I, was so, I was so mesmerized and, and I was so like just into God at the moment that I, I told her this. And I can't believe I'm going to share this with you because it's about as cheesy as it gets. But I shared this with her. I looked her right in the eye and I said, Jesus will be the only guy I ever move out of the way for, for you. <laughs> And here's the thing, I meant it. Until two weeks later when I saw her with another guy. And I thought to myself, that dude's name better be Jesus or we got a problem. She's lying. I got Jesus juked. I got Jesus juked. If you don't know what Jesus juke is, it's when someone tells you something really hard, bad news, and they tell you, and they just use scripture, or they use Jesus' name to try to make it sound better. That's a Jesus juke. And see, Jesus juked me right out of my sneakers. I was rejected, but I moved on. If you ever met my wife, you know I'm winning right now, so it's good. I mean, it's good. <laughs> We've all been rejected. And, and I don't mean to downplay the, the rejection. I don't, I, I mean, 17 years old, I got rejected by a girl. Like, how many guys in this room haven't been rejected by a girl when they were like in their teens? You know what I mean? But it hurt. But it wasn't like, you know, ultimate rejection. I mean, I understand that there are higher levels of rejection. I understand that if a spouse walks out on you to go be with somebody else, that's a rejection that's hard to stomach. If a parent walks out on you and, and just decides that they don't want to parent you anymore when you're a kid, that's, that's pretty hard to swallow. That's a rejection. That's a, definitely a higher level. There's levels of rejection. My daughter just turned 13 years old. Pray for me. I'm right in the middle of it, folks. Teenage drama. Here we go. She's a great kid, but she came home a few months ago. Her, her birthday was a, a couple months ago. She came home several months before that, and she was like, Dad, I, I want an Apple iPhone. And I said, baby, you know that we are an Android family. We can't go Apple. I'm trying to rid myself of all Apple things. And she goes, no, 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 I want an iPhone. And so I began, why do you want an iPhone? And she would tell me these reasons as I began to peel away the layers that was behind there. We finally got to the truth. And the truth was, all my friends have iPhones. And they make fun of me because I have an Android. And I told her, you stand up and be bold for that Android. <laughs> I'm just kidding, I did it. Amen. <laughs> there we go. 
And so this is what I learned. At 13 years old, I have a teenage daughter who is feeling rejected because she has an Android. And the peer pressure was tremendous. And so what I learned is my 13-year-old daughter and Dr. Sean Beatty, the senior pastor of Clovis Hills, gave in to the pressure and got iPhones. <laughs> I hope you're watching, Beatty. It doesn't matter what level. Rejection never feels good. But I don't want to underplay today or, or overplay, whatever it might be. I don't certainly want to Jesus juke you. I don't want to stand up here today and tell you uh, you're, you're dealing with some heavy stuff because of rejection. Rejection is leading to all kinds of stuff in your life. And in fact, as I was preparing for this message, I read both from Duke University and Oxford University, doctors are coming out and saying that almost 80% of the people that they are seeing for counseling, for therapy, that are dealing with depression, dealing with sadness, dealing with anxiety, those who are coming to see him from those issues, about 80% of those stem from rejection. It's those, as if those are the symptoms, but rejection is the root. And so I don't want to downplay it. I certainly don't want to Jesus juke you and tell you, ah, it's just going to be okay. Because you're going to walk out of here not understanding truly what the scripture says on how to deal with these issues. When we're having anxious thoughts, how do we really deal with those in a real way? So it's not gonna be one of those messages that just jive, by golly, just, just do it, you'll be fine. What we're gonna do is we're gonna look at Psalms again and we're gonna read some other passages to, to figure out how do we really deal and understand and deal with my anxious thoughts. And so what I would love to do is start right here, and the premise is this, that you've been rejected, that I've been rejected, but there's good news. Both the Father and the Son were rejected. Both the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were rejected. They are not a God who can't understand rejection. They understand rejection all too well. And that's a good starting point to understand. It's just not us that deal with rejection here on this earth, but they themselves understood and went through rejection. Look at it with me with 2 Samuel chapter 8. The story behind this passage is simple. All the countries in the world have kings at this time, except for Israel. Israel was ruled by judges, and there was a man named Samuel who was leading that effort to rule Israel in a godly way. And all of a sudden, the people began to stir. And they went to Samuel and they said, Samuel, I want a king just like everybody else. And Samuel's like, you're, God's your king. And they, no, 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 we want like an earthly king. And look what it says in 1 Samuel chapter 8. We're going to pick it up right there. It says, so the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah. They said to him, you are old and your sons do not follow your ways. What a great way to start a conversation. You're old and your kids are horrible. He says, so now appoint a king to lead us such as all the other nations have. But when they said, give us a king to lead us, this displeased Samuel. So he prayed to the Lord and the Lord told him, listen to all that the people are saying to you. It is not you they have rejected, but they have rejected me as their king. As they have done from this day, forsaking me and serving other gods, so they are doing to you. 
God understands being rejected. He's been rejected by his people over and over and over again. And I'm not blaming the Israelites because the reality is that if it came down to just me, he would have experienced rejection. Because I certainly have rejected him over and over again. Jesus has experienced rejection. Jesus wasn't even out of his mother's womb before he experienced rejection. Do you remember? There was no place for him at the inn. He was trying to be born. He was trying to enter into this world. And he had to be born in a manger because there was no... He started his life in rejection and it just started from there. The religious people, they rejected him. People rejected him. His own disciples rejected him. Judas, as he washed Judas' feet, he knew he was about to be rejected by him. He went to the cross. He stood before a crowd. And there was a horrible person named Barabbas. You remember? Killer, thief, murder. I mean, everything under Barabbas And Pilate came out and said, who would you rather have? Do you want me to kill Jesus or Barabbas? And the people rejected Jesus by saying, give us Barabbas, kill Jesus. He knows all too well what it means at a high level to be rejected. So that's good news. We don't have a God who cannot sympathize with us as we are dealing with the emotions and what we do with this rejection. And that's exactly it. What we do with the rejection is exactly the question of the day. In fact, here's my big idea. If you don't get anything else out of this message, here's my big idea right here. Put it up. My big idea is this. God uses rejection for redirection. God uses rejection for redirection. And this is what I mean by this. That anytime we are rejected or we're starting to feel these anxious thoughts coming on because of our rejection, we feel depression coming on. What we have is we have a decision to make on what we're going to do with that rejection. If we let it foster, it can turn into horrible things. Or we could do what the psalmist King David did in Psalms 23. Look at what it says with me in Psalms 23 verses 4 and 5. We're going to focus on these two verses. It says this, even though I walk through the darkest valley, you are with me. I want to pause right there and remind us of a few things. One is this, that we will walk through dark valleys. I'm only here to encourage all of you. But I don't want to Jesus juke you. I I want to be real. You have walked walked through dark valleys. You will in the future walk through dark valleys. But what David, King David, found to be successful in his life is one, to understand that God was with him. That he had a choice. He could, in his faith, believe that the God of the universe cares enough about him to walk with him during some very troubling times. King David faced all kinds of rejection from his people to loved ones, to family members. And yet, he states here, even though I'm walking through this valley, I have got to come to an understanding and it is a matter of faith that I step out and believe that God is walking with me. So I want to tell you today, if you're in that dark place, 
the God of the universe is ready to walk with you. If you are suffering from your anxious thoughts, I want to remind you today that he is ready to walk with you. And this is what King David says in Psalms 23. He says, I know he's walking with me. And so even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. And then he's going to clarify it even more. And this is what I want to point out this morning, church. The very thing that David points out after he knows that God is walking with him. He says this. He says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now remember, Pastor Sean has been talking about the last few weeks. He's been talking about Jesus as the good shepherd. And then what do shepherds do? They take care of their flock. They carry around the staff. You know what a staff is, right? It's that long pole with the little crooked thing at the end. And, and, and David says here that your staff comforts me while I'm in the darkest valley. Now let's go over that real fast. In a shepherd's world, he carries a staff so that he could redirect his sheep. If his sheep start to get out of the, the way they should be going, he redirects them with the staff. If they get lost, he goes after them and he takes his staff and he gently gets them back onto the road they should be walking. This is what the staff is for. This is a shepherd's staff. He takes it and reminds them and gently reminds them that I am the shepherd. You are going where I want you to go and I'm going to keep you safe using my staff. So David says, I am comforted in the valley of dark valleys because I know the good shepherd has a staff. But he also says, I am comforted in dark valleys because the good shepherd has a rod. It says, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Now this is what we want to get to this morning. The, the, the staff, redirection. Keep those sheep safe. I don't know about you, but I'm glad the good shepherd has a staff and he's used it on me several times. But he also has a rod. And I know for you, some of you are like, oh no, he's beating the crud out of those sheep. I grew up in a family like that. I understand the rod. But that's not what the rod's for. A shepherd's rod is not to beat the sheep. In fact, it's not even to be used on the sheep. A shepherd's rod is to be used to protect the sheep from the enemy. David knows this all too well. Because if you remember the story, when he was a young boy and he was a shepherd, he had a rod and he had a staff. And he would watch over that flock, but he tells a story of when a lion came to grab one of those sheep and ran away with that sheep. The lion had the sheep in the mouth and ran away. And what did David do? David left the sheep, he took the rod, he went over there, and he got that sheep back because he beat down the enemy. You know where I'm going with this, right? You see, while the staff keeps us in line with the path that God has called us to. And when we try to get out of line, he gently reminds us. He takes the staff and he makes sure that nobody's gonna mess with his flock. 
You see, when we're dealing with our anxious thoughts, what's happening is we're believing the lies of the world. We're projecting onto ourselves what we think the world wants to see. We take rejection and we take it to another level and we start this internal dialogue that begins to tell something about ourselves. And all of a sudden we're spinning out of control while all along the good shepherd is telling us, I got a staff, I want to put you back in line, but I'm going to go get those people who are messing with you because they're telling you lies. I'm going to beat them down to protect you. Man, I'm going to guarantee you right now at Old Town, they're celebrating over that fact. Come on, 1030. You're going to make me start preaching right now. Isn't it comforting to know that the good shepherd has our back? Isn't it good to know that when the enemy comes and tries to mess with his flock, by the way, John 10, 10 says, I'm never going to let that flock out of my hand. They are in my hand. That is the same good shepherd that says, I got your back. I'm looking all around. I'm looking ahead of you. I'm looking on the side of you. I'm looking behind you because I got a rod and I'm ready to use it. Now listen, I understand that we have these perceptions of Jesus. We see these pictures of him and the flowing, beautiful blonde hair. Which, by the way, I've never seen a blue-eyed white dude in the Middle East before. But whatever, that's a different subject. (laughs) You'll catch on to that in just a minute. Hey, listen. And do you ever notice that his gown is like always so perfectly pressed in those pictures? The Bible says he didn't even have a place to lay his head. Man, you got some dry cleaners as disciples or something because your robe always looks so nice. And he's always just flowing. It always seems to have some wind because his hair is always just like that. You read Psalms 23, that's not the image of Jesus. The image of Jesus is a fierce one. Man, I'm going to tell you right now, a man's man is Jesus. Because what he's doing is he's not only protecting what is his, but he's looking out and he will fight for you with that club in his hand, and he'll beat back the enemy. Man, that is good news. I don't know about you, but what I am strained, especially mentally what I am strained, I need someone to remind me that that's not of God. I need someone to go out and fight my battles for me because there are times that I am tired. There are times that I can't, imagine getting the mustering up the energy to fight battles on my own. But Jesus says, I have a rod and I will fight those battles for you. He is the good shepherd. I told you I wasn't going to Jesus juke you, but this is real and it's a matter of faith. You want to overcome those anxious thoughts, allow Jesus to be your good shepherd. Allow him to carry that staff and that rod. Allow him to do what only he can do. And then we'll be able to deal with those anxious thoughts. Uh, look, look what Romans 5, chapter 8 says. I think it sums it up right here. Romans 5, chapter 5, verse 8. I'm sorry. It says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us. That while we were still sinners, even though we were sinning, he knows that we were sinners. What did he do? He died for us. That's because he is the good shepherd. 
He doesn't say, wait a minute, wait till you get that sin under control. No, 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 wait a minute, you left the flock, sorry, good luck with that. No, he says, just like we sang earlier, he will leave the 99 to try to save the one because that's what a good shepherd does. We don't have to get our act together to come to Christ. It is the, Jesus, what he did on the cross, his redemptive work on the cross, and the work of the Holy Spirit in our life, once we come to Jesus, then we'll worry about getting some kind of act together. He is the good shepherd, and he will not let us go. When I was in junior high, I, I, before Jesus, I didn't come to Jesus until I was a freshman in high school. And when I was in junior high, I was not a good dude. I, let's just say I was a punk, and I did a lot of dumb things. And one night, uh, everything kind of came to a head with my parents. They were incredibly frustrated with me. They thought they were raising a monster. <laughs> you know, they, they were raising a monster. Uh, I had two older brothers, quite older than me, so I was kind of just, you know, doing my own thing. And uh, police brought me home about 2.30 in the morning for some stuff that I was out doing I shouldn't have been doing. And I remember my dad, my mom, they were so just disappointed in me. And I got grounded and, and all that kind of stuff. And I remember being in my room, and my parents, when they grounded me, they, like, took out everything. Like, radio. I couldn't do anything. I was just there. And I remember through the very thin walls, I, I could hear my mom talking to somebody. And it wasn't a pleasant conversation. You could hear her yelling at times, and then there were times that you could hear her weeping. And you could tell she was just very troubled. And so what did I do? I opened the door so I could hear a little bit more. <laughs> and as I heard the conversation get more intense, uh, I went to the room where the other phone was. There was these cool things. They were phones that would actually hang on walls. They're like in museums now. You should check them out. They used to actually hang on walls. And if the, with those phones, there was something that, by the way, generation here, if you've never experienced the, like, phone hanging walls, phones, you never experienced this either. Because if you had two of them in your house, you could go to the one that wasn't being used, and if you just did it right, and you just slipped it up and put your finger there and then slowly did it, you could listen to the conversation. It's a lost art. But that's what I did. I went into the other room and I took it off and I listened to the conversation and I could hear my mom weeping. I could hear her outraged at times and stupefied at times because she didn't know what to do and the conversation was about me. And she was actually talking to my grandfather, her father who lived in Arizona. And I remember just hearing my mom say, I don't know what to do with him. He just seems to want to do his own thing. No matter what we do, no matter what we try, no matter what we, it doesn't matter. He just wants to find trouble. And I don't know what to do with them. And, and, and me and his dad are frustrated. We don't know what to do. And I remember at that point feeling a, a sense of rejection and yet a, a rejection I deserved almost because I was that. But I'll never forget on the other line was my grandfather. And all I heard my grandfather say, every time my mom says, I don't know what to do, I don't know what to do with him, my grandfather would say, you send him over to me. You send him over to me. And you don't understand. He's this, this, and this. No, I understand. You send him over to me. 
I got him. But, but, you know, he's going to do this. I don't want to put my burdens on you. I don't want my problems to go over to you. You don't understand. I know he's going to do this, this, and this. You send him over to me. My grandfather just kept saying over and over, no, you give him to me. I'll take care of it. I got him. That's my grandson. And sure enough, that happened. I went to go live with my grandparents for a while. And when I was living with my grandparents, they were the only people in our whole family that went to church. And so I started to have to go to church. I didn't like it. But I heard things that stuck with me. And then when it was time to go home, back to my parents' house, I remember having a little inkling of what church was about because I lived with them for so long. I went home and I found out that my middle brother had become a Christian while I was gone. And he started inviting me to church. And I was like, no, don't want anything to do with church. Until I lost a bet with them and then I had to go to church. But I'm telling you, I went to church and I began to hear and I began to listen. And what I understood was happening in hindsight, looking back at my life, while I didn't want to be there, what God was doing was he was taking his staff and he was saying, no, 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 no. This is the path you had to go down so that you can get to know me, the good shepherd. And as I came back and I lived with my parents, I started going to church more and more. And when I was a freshman in high school, January, I went on a camp and I gave my life to Jesus Christ. Yeah. And if it wasn't for my grandfather saying, no, 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 no. I know he's this way. I know this way. But you bring him to me. If it wasn't for him, I'm not sure what would be happening right now. Probably listening to another guy tell you another story right now. But here's my point. He's the good shepherd. And he takes his staff and he will keep you in, in, in his good graces. He will keep you in life. He will give you a path that is, I mean, John says it. I came to give life and life abundantly. And he'll keep you in that by using his staff. And as you're walking through the valley, the dark valleys, he's also going to take that rod. And he's going to protect you inasmuch as you let him to do so. Dealing with our anxious thoughts, we have a God who says, I will never leave you or forsake you. You know what that means? It says that in Deuteronomy and Hebrews. You know what that means? One, I'm never going to leave you. But when he says I'm never going to forsake you, it means I'm never going to reject you. No matter what you're going through in life, I'm here. I'm here right now. You come to me. I know what the world says about you. Jesus says, you come to me. I know what you think you've done. Jesus says, you come to me. I don't care what you've done. I don't care what your past is. I care what your future is. So no matter what you're going through, no matter what anxious thoughts, I want to walk with you in the valley of dark times, and I'm with you, and I got some, a staff and a rod, and anybody else better get out of the way because you're with me now. I got your back. This is how we deal with our anxious thoughts. It's a matter of faith. Do we live in that and believe that? Or do we let our thoughts take us to places that is a very dangerous place to go? So today, this morning, the invitation is simple. There is a man named Jesus, and he says that he is the good shepherd. And he so desperately wants to walk with you in those dark times. He wants to walk with you in the good times. He just wants to be part of your life. 
And he makes these promises to us. But first, in order for us to receive his promise to us, we have got to humbly understand that we need him and we need a relationship with him. And there's some of you guys this morning who have been here for a long time or maybe it's just your first time that he is saying to you, I want a relationship with you. I want to be your good shepherd. The Bible says, in fact, in Revelation chapter 3, verse 20, that he's standing outside of our, our, our life's door and he says, I'm knocking at your life. If you just open the door, I'll come in and I will live with you. And that's what it means to have a relationship with Jesus. What it means to have a relationship with Jesus is, man, I am so tired, just admitting to say, I'm so tired of going my way. I'm so tired of these anxious thoughts that seem to overwhelm me and I'm ready to go your way because I need a good shepherd. If that's you this morning, you're in the right place. The Holy Spirit is knocking right now. Jesus is saying, open up the door. And you just do it by saying this. You, you just talk to him in prayer. You just say, Lord, I need you. I open up my door and I invite you to come in. I'm tired of going my way. I want to go your way. That's how you have a relationship or begin, I should say, begin a relationship with the good shepherd. Let's pray. So, Father, we thank you, God, that you truly are our shepherd. You walk with us. You talk with us. You beat the enemy back. You guide us with your staff. And Father, you invite us into this life. And Lord, we recognize that only you give life and life abundantly. Oh, Father, we want that life. 